This week on the Railsporter podcast, we are going to be discussing Lincoln's inaugural train journey to Washington, D.C. Welcome to the Rail Splitter Podcast, the Abraham Lincoln Podcast. I'm your co-host, Mary, and joining me tonight is my co-host, Nick. Hello, everybody running laps at your local YMCA as you listen to us talk. And though he's not here in person, as always, Rail Splitter Jeremy is here in spirit. Um, so, as always, we like to start the show with a bit of news. So, Nick, I think you've got some pretty interesting Lincoln news for us this week. <laughs> Yeah, I guess uh, Rory McIlroy, the golfer, I think he's Irish uh, or English. I don't know. A little easy United, United Kingdom-ish. Um, anyways, he was quoted, I guess, I don't know what the context was. Last couple of years, he hasn't been winning a ton like he was um, prior to that. So he was in a press conference and he was talking and then kind of talk about the mental state he's in. And the second half of the quote was, so I've become comfortable with the fact I've tried four times, I've failed. But Abraham Lincoln lost the first 13 elections he was ever in. He wound up being the president of the United States. So I still got a bit of time. Wow. Um, yeah, a little bit off there. A little bit off. That's... Uh, go ahead. No, that's just crazy. <laughs> You know, like Lincoln always gets, you know, they use that a lot. Well, Lincoln failed all the time, but I think that's kind of overplayed. Yeah, he had some things that didn't go right. You know, he lost some elections. Uh, you know, a couple of the stores that he was involved with, you know, kind of went belly up. Mm-hmm. But like before he gets elected president, he's lifting, living a pretty comfortable upper middle class life in Springfield. I, I always kind of think of the Michael Jordan thing, too. I remember playing basketball. Oh, well, Michael Jordan got cut. He got cut as a sophomore from the varsity team. Mm-hmm. That's not the same thing as a kid getting cut straight up from just the grade level that he was supposed to be playing at. So sometimes we like to kind of embellish some of these triumph stories. Um, and yeah, Rory McIlroy is one of them. So I hope he never wins a damn championship again. It, it's one thing to say Lincoln failed or lost, like how, you know, maybe two or three elections or something like that but like 13 the heck was he running for like yeah i don't know it's he needs uh he is an american so maybe maybe you know he's, he's not on the north american continent even yeah so maybe maybe you know the fact that he was trying to you know drop lincoln in there i'll give him credit for that so yeah, that's the thing. Like you drop, like people will drop Lincoln's name, and everybody hears it, and it's like, oh, it's Abraham Lincoln. It must be true. Yeah, yeah. We've talked about this many times too. Like how many times he's misquoted or given mm-hmm. credit for a quote, and yeah, that, that's what happens when you're when you're the big tuna like uh, Abe Lincoln. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like I can't tell you how many shirts I've seen, and I've had to ask, you know, like. Uh, one of my friends is like, is that an actual Lincoln quote? And they're like, no, it's not. And it, it's on 
you know, the shirt that's being sold somewhere that you think is like, well, it should be a legit quote, but it's not. It's just been attributed to him, but it's not officially his at all. But yeah, it's 13 elections. That's crazy. <laughs> yeah. No. <clears throat> yeah, it is. And then- McElroy, Rory needs to... God, where is McElroy from? <laughs> but if he's from England, Ben Holmes, our English listener, you need yes. to get a hold of him and tell him, listen to the rail splitter. It's MC, so isn't that Irish? MC? I think he is Irish. That's yeah, where I'm that's leaning. that seems about right. Northern Ireland. So he is part of the United Kingdom. Okay, yeah. But Northern Ireland. Okay. So, hey, buddy, listen to the rail splitter, although he's not going to hear me. No. Well, maybe Ben Holmes can <laughs> drop him a line or something like <laughs> that. <laughs> so uh, do, do you have any other Lincoln news to share with us? <laughs> yeah, when I was kind of searching it today. Uh, the Smithsonian actually, uh, I don't know if they broke down, but they decided to cover Hot Lincoln. Oh, God. The Smithsonian website has an article about Hot Lincoln. Uh, and when I'm talking about Hot Lincoln, I'm talking about the gorgeous-looking Abraham Lincoln statue in California. Oh, that thing is just... It's not sexy. <laughs> I disagree, just for the record. Okay. <laughs> I think it is. I, I'm going to say... Uh, if he were here, Jeremy would side with me. Two out of three rail splitters agree it is not sexy. Yeah, but you guys are too deep into Lincoln nerdum <laughs> to actually have a non-judgmental eye like myself. I still say it looks like David Bowie. David Bowie was a good-looking man back in the day. He was. No, I totally agree he was, but it just does not suit Lincoln. I think it does. No. No, it doesn't, but okay. <laughs> regardless. <laughs> so uh, I will, if you can send me a link to that, I can get it posted for our listeners to read that article. Yeah. And then a 30-acre plot of farmland once owned by President Lincoln in rural Illinois was sold at an auction Tuesday for 300000 Wow. That was according to Fox News, so the fake. real fake news. Um but, yeah, it's kind of crazy. I don't know if you actually ever lived there or if you just kind of ended up owning part of it for a while. So I know he owned some land. I read something um, about it a few weeks ago, and I think it was just something that, like, he owned it or something. Yeah, so I don't think he lived there then. So, strictly disowned it. But, hey, good for them. Because I think there was some story of him. He was buying all this land in the hopes that the area that it was in would become, like, more... I guess built up and it never ever did, but he never sold the like. Yeah, he always kept the land. I think that was the story behind it. I agree. Uh, that's all I got though on the news front. Okay, that's awesome. I've been um, slacking a little bit in that because I've been kind of under the weather. So rail splitters, if I sound a little bit nasally, I guess that's what it is. It's me possibly getting a cold or the plague or just really bad allergies. My body hasn't really decided what's going on yet. So anyway, we will get to our episode now, which is about the inaugural journey that Abraham Lincoln made in February of 1861 to Washington, D.C. And so just the basics of that journey. 
began on February the 11th when Lincoln departed Springfield, and it ended 12 days later on February 23rd when he arrives in Washington, D.C. He's going to cover 1,904 miles on this journey. He will be on 18 separate railways, and he visits quite a few different states. So Illinois, Indiana, Ohio, New York, Pennsylvania, New Jersey, and Maryland, some of the more populous states in the north of the U.S., And Lincoln would give many speeches along the way in many different cities, including Indianapolis, Indiana, Columbus and Cleveland, Ohio, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and New York City, just to name a few. And we'll talk about what some of the major themes of those speeches uh, were in a little while. Um, So the situation at the time in the U.S. isn't that great. Um, Seven states have already seceded from the Union, and the Confederate states were formed in early February 1861. And Jefferson Davis will be inaugurated as president while Lincoln is on his journey on February the 18th, 1861. And there was quite a few people accompanying Lincoln on this journey, um, including his two secretaries, John Nicolay and John Hay, Dr. William S. Wallace, Mm -hmm. Elmer Ellsworth, Judd Davis, David Davis, Ward Hill Lehman, Colonel E.V. Sumner, Major David Hunter, a few others, and of course his family. Although I don't think Mary joined until Indianapolis. I don't think she left from Springfield. That's correct. With them. Do you know what she was doing in... Nick, I've read it and I'm slipping my mind now what she was up to. That... Well, the original plan was Lincoln and Robert were going to go way ahead of them right. um, out to the East Coast, yeah. and then Mary objected to that. Mm-hmm. So then they caught up in Indianapolis. Why didn't they just go from Springfield to Indianapolis? I did not come across that. I'm mm-hmm. not 100% sure on that. So um, I don't know. That's a good question. Mm-hmm. And then they'll actually be separated from each other, too, towards the end, which I'm sure we'll talk about. Yes. So. Yeah. So they will not arrive together in DC. No, a bit of foreshadowing there, real splitters, although I'm sure everybody knows what we're talking about. Um so the journey's actually really important um for Lincoln and just I think in for the presidency in general. Uh in his book, um, Ronald C. White mentions Lincoln's journey to Washington would provide his first opportunity to speak to the American people since his election three months earlier. He would see and be seen by more people in more places than any American president before him. So that's pretty significant right there. And I thought that it's especially significant with all that's happening with secession that he's getting out and seeing these people in the States um, before he gets to Washington. Yeah, no, I agree with that as well. It's kind of ironic, though, because he doesn't really want to talk much about the conflict. Nope. And then he's always saying in his speeches, like, oh, I don't want to give a speech or talk long. But yeah, he gives all these speeches. Yeah, he gave <laughs> dozens of speeches as yeah, he's on so. the journey. That had to be. And they there are some parts where they're a little bit repetitive, at least some of the parts I saw when looking for this. But um, as far as the line, oh, I don't want to talk too long or... I got one speech, you know. Yeah, but I'm just here for a few minutes. I don't really want to spend all of it talking. I got stuff to do. Um, But he did kind of tailor some of the speeches at these main 16 mm -hmm. stops to some of the issues that were going on based on the location. Yep. um, And stuff, too. So he was, you know, kind of playing the politic game in that, too. And, um, yeah, going out there and kind of laying his case for stuff and 
I think we'll get into that more too as we go through it. Yeah, and that's actually a really good point you you raise, Nick, about playing the political game because that's um like that's what Donald says in his book. The journey offered superb opportunities for a politician, and Lincoln played the crowds with consummate skill. And um, also, just to lead in what we're going to be talking about in a few minutes, um, it may be a glimpse into how Lincoln was viewing the secession crisis at the time. And that's really important when studying Lincoln, because if you look at how he's viewing it then versus how he's going to be viewing it a few years later, it shows his evolution and how his thinking had changed. Um, and then interesting that White points out that John Nicolay, one of Lincoln's secretaries, wrote that Lincoln had no fondness for public display, but well understood the importance of personal confidence and live sympathy, sympathy between a leader and his constituents. So Lincoln knows that this is now part of his job as the president and um he even throws his humor in there like lincoln says that at one stop um he stated the journey that i may see you and that you may see me and in the arrangement i have the best of the bargain (laughs) so he was um playing his humor um into that too and it was actually uh a little bit of Seward's encouragement that Lincoln decided to make this journey. Um, and Seward encouraged him to go through the most populous states. That's at the beginning of December 1860. But then by end of December, Seward's changed his mind because he's found out that there's this plot to seize Lincoln on March 4th um, on Inauguration Day in the Capitol. And he writes Lincoln and basically says, you need to get here sooner and do it in secret and just basically get to Washington so we can avoid this. And Lincoln, of course, does not listen to Seward, and Lincoln not listening becomes kind of a little bit of a theme, as we'll see later on um, on his journey to Washington. So he leaves Springfield um, on February 11th, 1861, and he a thousand people come out to see him leave. And he gives what is a very eloquent and moving speech and one of his more famous ones. And we're not going to quote the whole thing here. I will post a link to it once we get the show posted. But um, he talks about his time. He lived in Springfield. Um, His children were born there. One's buried there. And he seems to know what he's about to undertake will be challenging. um, Because he says, with a task greater than what rested with um, upon Washington. He mentions the divine being as being able to help him. Um, and it's just very eloquent and moving. Um, what did you think of the speech, Nick? Yeah, no, I like the speech a lot. So you could just kind of show that, you know, he appreciates Springfield, the people there. Um, and it's kind of sad when you think about it. That was his last moment in Springfield mm-hmm. um, because he'll never get back. He'll actually get close to having an opportunity, but he kind of backs out. Um, I think it's like around 62, 63. Yep. Um, but yeah, so you just kind of know all that and. I mean, that really, in a lot of ways, was his hometown. I, I would say, obviously, lived many places, but that's where, that was his home. Springfield, without a doubt. Yeah, I, I completely agree with you there. And, like, you know, he kind of, he says at one point, my friends, no one not in my situation can appreciate my feeling of sadness at this parting to this place and the kindness of these people. I owe everything. So, yeah, it's truly become his home, and he holds the place very dear. And he even mentions, like, if I make it back alive, which to me makes the speech even sadder that he says that. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I mean, a hundred percent it's the place made him for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It shaped who he was as a person. And, you know, he's got a thousand people coming to see him off on this journey and 
you know, most of them will never see him again. I wonder what the population was at that time. Because to be honest, I kind of felt like a thousand was smaller than what I was anticipating. That's what I thought too. But I think that was about, I can't remember how many came to that. They had like kind of a party the week leading up to him leaving. And I think like five or 600 people came to his house. Which just, I was like, that's crazy. Yeah, that but, dude, that is that's a party. Five, yeah, six hundred people. Yeah, I think it was like some astronomical number where I was like, How the hell would you fit that many people in that house? Like I've never well, I've never been to the house before, but I've seen enough pictures to know that that's like but I think parties at that time were kind of like a you stay for ten minutes and then you leave. The population eighteen sixty I'm getting is nine thousand. So you got about a thousand people out of nine thousand. That's pretty mm-hmm. decent. Mm-hmm. So it fails a comparison to some of these other ones, though. Oh, yeah. But uh, so I, I don't even know. I don't know if you know how publicized it was, like when his departure actually was from Springfield. I'm either. sure it would have been pretty well known when he was leaving. And but then again, maybe not. Like maybe yeah. it was kind of one of those. It was not really known. And maybe something was said like the day before. And um. Edward L. Baker, his friend, said of the speech, We have known Mr. Lincoln for many years. We have heard him speak upon a hundred different occasions, but we have never saw him so profoundly affected, nor did he utter an address which seemed to us so full of simple and touching eloquence. And it was obviously published in the papers, too. And once Lincoln was on the train and leaving, he started to write it down, but he found the train to be too bumpy. Uh, So then he, uh, I think it was John Hay, who he was like, Here, write, and I will dictate this to you. And that's why we have a copy of that speech now, which is pretty cool. Very cool. Um, And now I mentioned a lot of people were going with him, but there was one family member left behind, and that was Fido, the dog. And we actually did an episode about him. And they had to leave poor Fido behind because he was scared of loud noises, and Lincoln found thought that it would cause him too much anxiety on the train journey as well as being in D.C. But he made sure that Lincoln's or that Fido's favorite couch went with him to his new home. And I think they had every intention of accepting Fido back into the family once they were back in Springfield after he was done being president. Um, But as I said, if you'd like to learn a little bit more about Fido, we do have an entire episode devoted to him. Bring a Kleenex for the end. Yep. That's very sad what happens to him. So the journey... So along the journey, they did take special precautions to protect Lincoln, and that meant there was a flagman stationed at every railroad crossing plus half-mile intervals along the tracks. And I was doing the math in my head. That's a lot of men. Yeah, I didn't know that. That is a shit ton of men. That's a whole, like, that's crazy. (laughs) Because it was 1,904 miles. Yeah. So every half mile? Yep. At double that. So you're looking almost 4,000. Yep. Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> I wonder if it's the same people that were kind of riding ahead. I wonder how that was. Oh, yeah. They would just one would like run ahead of the other. I bet that's what they did. There's no way you're organizing 4,000 people back in that day, are you? It's not like you I, had email. No, they could. I don't know. The, the, they had the telegraph at that time. They would have had to plan ahead on this. But yeah, I can just see them kind of leapfrogging each other as they go along. Um, 
So the you tra- imagine if they tried doing this now, it'd be just chaos. Oh like even God. if it was just like a limo ride. But they'd have to have so many like security and everything else and they would never try it this way. <laughs> and so he's traveling by train, obviously, and there's three cars. Um, but sometimes a fourth would be added depending on who was like joining the party. There was journalists in one who were heavily covering it, local dignitaries, and the Lincoln family was in the third. And there people were obviously interested in meeting the family, so like Lincoln would encourage Mary to come out with him at these like the smaller stops and kind of wave to the crowd. And then at one stop, Lincoln remarked that now the crowd could see the long and short of it as he and Mary stood on the platform together. Um, Tad and Willie were not seen too much. Um, Robert was very much seen in the public eye and on the journey was given the nickname of Prince of Rails, which kind of makes me laugh. (laughs) I'm not a huge fan of Robert. Um... And Donald, in his bio of Lincoln, says that Robert abandoned for once his his natural taciturnity, I'm totally butchering that word, flirted with girls, drank too much Catawba wine, and even took a turn at driving the locomotive. And as we will see, Robert kind of almost makes a very bad mistake on this journey. And... So, on the journey, not only is Lincoln visiting many prominent cities, he's also making stops in many little towns. And I had the opportunity to visit one of these towns back in on Labor Day weekend, Cadiz uh, Junction, Ohio. And it's just this, like, there's literally, like, two buildings there now and this little plaque. And um, I was able to get a bit of a recording when I was there because I was there with Lincoln Belongs the Age is my friend Jeff and he was able to tell me a little bit about Lincoln's stop there and we have that on one of our shows too. Um, so one thing I found interesting is Lincoln requested that all committees and receptions along the route be nonpartisan. And Donald states that's because the journey had the larger purpose of encouraging support for the Union and fostering loyalty among the Northern people. And that goes back to what you said earlier, Nick, too, and also Donald's point about Lincoln playing the politician very well. Like, I think that's him doing that part really well. Yeah, and you see that, especially when he's in southern Ohio, too, Mm -hmm. understanding that he's close to the border there to Kentucky. Um, And then the speech he gives there kind of letting him know, hey, we're not planning on... You know, just the speeches he gives, he just paying attention to that. You see that in New York, too, um, kind of directed at the Bay. I don't want to jump too far ahead, uh, but you see that happen there. Actually, we're about to get to the speeches right now. Okay. Um, so Lincoln was constant, constantly being called upon to make speeches on the journey. Um, George Templeton Strong, who lived in New York, wrote in his... Um, he did. Do you know anything about George Templeton Strong? Not a bunch. I've read a bunch of primary sources by him, though. Yeah, like he made a journal entry every day for I don't know how many years. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, it's and he's actually got a tw- he's actually got a Twitter account, and it's <laughs> really interesting to follow. Um, so he wrote that Lincoln is making little speeches as he wends his way towards Washington, and he has said some things that are sound and creditable and raise him in my esteem. But then Lincoln's also getting criticism, too. And Charles Francis Adams Jr. uh, stated that Lincoln was absolutely unknown 
and that Lincoln was perambulating around the country kissing little girls and growing whiskers. So he's getting positive feedback and he's getting criticisms as well, which would be normal with something like this. So in the speeches, um, like Nick, I thought that the major themes were basically the secession crisis, like just kind of that would have been the main one that came across and maybe kind of outlining what some of his platforms were going to be when he was president as well. Yeah, a lot of trying to reassure people, um, saying, you know, um, complimenting the people that if we got this many people are so excited, we'll be all right. And then the famous lines along this, uh, to attempt any lengthy speech, I will only say to the salvation of this union, that needs to be one single thing. You know, always throwing that line in Yeah, that he's not really here to attempt a lengthy speech, uh, which he probably wouldn't, which is kind of... Remarkable because it would have been very easy just to go off on a tangent. Mm -hmm. You know, you got these huge crowds who are just adoring you. I mean, it would almost be very tempting to just play to that. Um, And and I think he just played to it because he he had to. He didn't overdo it, which could have been very easily done, as as we've seen in America in the last couple of years. Yeah, and and given the situation at the time, he probably doesn't want to really sway one way or another. And he does get criticisms over that because... um, you know, as you said, when he's in Cincinnati um, and he's telling the people in the audience that are from Kentucky, I'm not going to interfere with the institution of slavery. And then in Cleveland, um, so when he when he was there, there was this gigantic snowstorm, but people still came out to see him. And he proclaimed that the crisis that was happening was artificial. So it's like, is he downplaying it or does he really not understand what's going on? And he also refers to himself in one of the speeches as the humblest of all individuals that have ever been elected to the presidency. And um, Donald makes a really good point in his bio of Lincoln saying that not once in these dozen speeches he made along the journey did he suggest willingness to agree to secession, to acquiesce in the southern seizure of federal forts and arsenals, or recognize the Confederacy. Over and over, he stressed he had been elected to uphold the Constitution and, and enforce the laws. Yeah, I, I think at the end of the day, he's just playing his cards close to his chest. Yep. Um, be very careful what he says. Not trying to make any huge headlines as far as what he's saying or policies. Um, and But at the same time, trying to throw little hints in there um, to people. Because also in Cincinnati, I came across, he spoke to a German industrial association. Mm-hmm. And then he kind of brings up, you know, that they were once held down by the shackles, the oppression of tyranny. You know, is he purposely doing that to lay a little bit of groundwork, um, thinking about slavery and the Civil War, you know, so trying to win their support over there by doing that. So being that I I believe he was a master politician, he just he played it right. He gave Mm -hmm. the people a little something. He kind of gave a message to them to bring confidence, whether it was Kentuckians in Ohio um, or in New York. You had the mayor, which I didn't know this till researching this. New York got a lot of cotton from the South, and they were worried about their trade. So the mayor in 1861, early 1861, actually, um, you know, was not thrilled about how things were going and actually sowed some sympathy to the South. So Lincoln kind of addressed that in one of his speeches as well. So, um, yeah, just being the master that he is, pulling the strings. Yeah, no, I I completely agree. And, like, the one thing I pulled away from it is there was, like, the northern newspapers um, 
you know, like some, some his critics are, or not Northern newspapers, but the critics are saying, oh, he's downplaying the crisis. And then others are saying, oh, he's doing this so well. Like, look at him going around the country and doing this before he's inaugurated. Um, so a question arises as to just from what he said in these speeches, was Lincoln really not that in tune to how bad things were? Or was he simply trying to downplay it so as not to create panic? And this is a theme that we've seen before and discussed on the show with his personal beliefs and thoughts may not be in line with what he's outwardly saying. So um, we thought from that that we could build a whole episode around that. So we're posing that question to our listeners, too. Um, We would like to know what you guys think. So, you know, tweet at us or comment um, once we get the show posted, like comment about that. And I think we're probably going to build an episode around that and discuss like just these speeches because i i found that they were it was like wow we could build a whole episode about looking at what his remarks were and was he downplaying it or did they really just not know in the north like how just how bad it was because if you're not down there where it's happening and keep in mind that like they don't have the same technology we did like they're not going to be hearing the same things that we would be hearing in this day and age agreed should we go through some of these towns and kind of some of the different events that took place? Yeah. Um, because I got some stuff written down for several of them, not all of them. Awesome. Is your first one Indianapolis, by chance? Yep, I got Indianapolis, all right, which yep. I'm sure you were going to say was he actually gets there February 11th, mm-hmm. leaves February 12th, and has himself a nice birthday breakfast at the governor's mansion. So... You know, um, 52nd birthday. So pretty young compared to what our last, well, I guess Obama was young. Mm-hmm. But young compared to Trump in America. What's yeah. Trudeau? He's late 40s. Is he younger or older than Obama when He's he took office? younger. Obama mm-hmm. and him, man, both sharp looking guys. I know. I'm just going to quickly Google how old Justin Trudeau is. I should know that. We're having a major scandal in our country, too. Right now? Yes. About what? Uh, concrete company in Quebec, government trying, like, and they were, like, going to do some shady stuff with money, and then the attorney general was like, this isn't right, and the government told her to basically be quiet, and then she stepped down, and now they're calling for Trudeau to step down. Dang. Yeah, it's really fun. You guys got to get your shit together. I know. There. And he, he's 47 years old, so he's 11 years older than I am. <laughs> he's a young guy. He is a young guy. Yeah. He's a very good, very good looking man. Yes. Which we've covered extensively. Yes. I feel like on this podcast. I know. <laughs> we mention so, him nearly as much as Fillmore. <laughs> uh, we'll get to him later. Oh, we will. Um, do you know what else happened to Lincoln in Indianapolis, Nick? I don't off the top of my head. Uh, this is where Robert had a total, you had one job, and you ne- nearly failed. He had he was entrusted with this handbag that had his uh, father's, so Lincoln's first inaugural uh, in it. <laughs> and he gets to the hotel, and he gives it to the porter, and he's like, here, hang on to this. And the porter throws it on, another, on a pile of luggage. And... Lincoln at this ball or reception they're at, he says to Robert, where's my, where's the bag? And Robert's like, oh, it's downstairs. (laughs) 
So then apparently, like, Lincoln runs down the stairs and starts rifling through the luggage. And the first one he opened had, like, a shirt, a deck of playing cards, and an empty bottle of whiskey in it. Was it Roberts? Probably. (laughs) (laughs) Tosses that aside. So he's got to, like, look through it. I can't imagine what his anxiety would be, but, like... Or how panicked he was, but it seems pretty humorous picturing Lincoln doing that. But they found they found the speech. Luckily, it wasn't lost, but still, like that was like a total you had one job, Robert. Yeah, dude. And especially, you know, Lincoln this he had to prepare for so long on that speech and God damn it, Robert. <laughs> Robert almost lost the speech. So then uh then Indianapolis, he went out to Cincinnati, which we've kind of touched on. Um, he had like a two-hour procession um, to the Burnett house there. Indianapolis, what was it, 20,000 people I saw mm-hmm. were yep. part of the procession? Yeah. That's just crazy. So then Cincinnati, he gives a couple speeches, uh, one where he talks to the German Industrial Association, one where he um, also talks, kind of relays a message to the people of Kentucky. I don't know if you got anything else for that one. Kentucky, no, I don't have anything for anything more for Kentucky. And then anything more for Cincinnati there? Um, nope, you covered it um, with the Germ- him speaking to the Germans and then that he did the two speeches there. And then you just want me to keep going like I am? Yep. I feel Perfect. like I just started doing this. No, it's uh, fine. Go ahead. Then uh, the next stop was Columbus, Ohio. Mm-hmm. And this is kind of where this is actually where the election was finalized, because here we used electoral college um, and the formal counting of that was done in a joint session of Congress on that day. So that was kind of the last step of the election process. So kind of certified there. There's been some news here in America about getting rid of the electoral college. Um, So I don't see it happening anytime soon, but it is an interesting debate. Yeah. And then from Columbus, they head on to the Steel City, Pittsburgh itself. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was actually delayed. I, I find this fascinating. It was like delayed two hours because of a stalled freight train. Like something <sighs> like that would never happen nowadays. No. So with all the security, well, first of all, they'd probably be flying anyways. But um, even if they were traveling, like if there was a car accident, they'd find a way around it. So um I thought that was kind of funny. I don't know if you got anything there for those last two I went through. Not for my next one is Westfield, New York. Yeah. Uh, And then Cleveland, which you kind of touched on a little bit, um, kind of pulls in there during the middle of a snowstorm. um, And he does get in the open carriage despite the snowy weather. So kind of badass right there. He's more badass than I would be. I hate the snow. So I think this is William. Who's the guy who died? William Henry Harrison. Yep. Who gave the speech too long? Yeah. So um, he did not face that fate, though, because Lincoln was tough, unlike Harrison. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Westfield, New York. And I'll give you the honors for probably the most famous of the stories on the journey out there, I would argue. Yeah, this is where he met Grace Fidel. And um, Grace Fidel was an 11 year old girl, and she had written Lincoln saying that he should let his whiskers grow as it would improve his appearance. And when he arrived in Westfield, New York, he said that he had received this letter and was she in the audience? And this little boy was like, oh, here she is. Here's Grace. And she comes forward and Lincoln apparently gives her a few kisses and um, like they got to meet. And there's actually a statue in Westfield, New York to commemorate this meeting. It's a really cool statue. 
Um, but that's one of the more like lighthearted stories of how he's like it. He had such a grassroots approach. I find like on this journey, it's something that you, I don't think you would see it now. Him getting that, a president getting that close to the people. Yeah, I know. I mean, this is like the ultimate like PR move here. Like you get this little kid a letter. You go to the town. You get off. She's there. And then, I mean, if only there was, like, the mass media nowadays, man, you can imagine how many times that would have gone viral, like... Oh. Unbelievable. Yeah. So. Now, we still do stuff like that in Canada. Like, prime ministers are very still much, like, grassroots politicians because they don't... I mean, they still have security, but it's not... It's not like it is in America. Like, Justin Trudeau visited my town last year, and he helped... um, fill backpacks for this back to school program and he's like outside in this parking lot like everybody's coming up to hug him shake his hand and stuff like that and it's just like um somebody was talking to you commented like wow you you might not see the president of the united states doing something like that without all the security around him yeah you're Mm -hmm. probably right and i think especially the last couple it's not it's not in trump's wheelhouse this kind of stuff either um obama would kind of do I mean, he definitely would have the security, but I don't know if Obama. I feel like they George W. Bush. They definitely wanted him to make like he played up that. Hey, I'm just one of you guys. Yeah, yeah, even for though sure. he was a millionaire. Yeah, <laughs> but um, yeah, I, definitely Trump. This is not stuff in his wheelhouse, unfortunately. No, it it's so I don't know. That's just one of the more heartwarming stories from. Lincoln's history that that I love is the Grace Bedell story. Um, and then, so do you have anything after Westfield? Uh, yeah, the shithole of America, Buffalo, New York. <laughs> Mistake by the lake. A thousand people were there, and I could tell you, hands down, the biggest jackass of them all in that crowd was President Millard Fillmore himself coming to see what a real man looks like, somebody who actually won an election to get in that White House. Um, I guess he was on the ticket. But um, dude, uh, I found a great quote from the Buffalo Commercial Advertiser. Oh, yeah? Uh, the lines were broken, and Mr. Lincoln was able to enter his carriage. Women fainted, men were crushed under the mass of bodies, and many <laughs> others had their bones broken. Once out of the depot, every man uttered a brief, thank God for the preservation of his life. More with personal injuries were carried away and a fainted woman recovering under a free use of hydrant water. So it just sounds like a mob of people. And actually, Major David Hunter actually dislocated his arm in the mob. Um, I'm going to give a shout out. This is like Luke Perry when he went to the mall and he was only expecting 2,000 people and 10,000 people went there. So pour one out for Luke Perry. Dylan was the man. Yeah, Dylan. I miss Dylan. So, this must have been the point of the trip where Lincoln just wanted to torture himself because he oh, goes to church with Fillmore, Fillmore. Yeah. Rides in a carriage with Fillmore. And then proceeded to go to his house for dinner with Fillmore. Talk about a terrible, probably the worst evening of his life. And Lincoln was a teetotaler too, so he didn't drink. So he was probably like questioning, like, mm, that wine is looking good right now. He was also halfway through the journey and like, when I read like Buffalo, New York was halfway through and all Lincoln had done and all he still had to do, I was like, I'd be exhausted. 
Yeah, that's true. So that would be exhausting. I'd be done. And like, I guess when he got to Buffalo on the Saturday, people were like, oh, come out and do this and do that. And he's like, no, I need to rest. Yeah, rightfully so, too. I mean, I need to rest. I got to hang out with this jackass. Yeah, I got to, I got to, Blake, get ready <laughs> to hang out with Fillmore. Fillmore's just leeching off him, dude. Okay, he's probably like, oh, I'm going to get some publicity for this. And All right, enough of that jackass. <laughs> Where are we going to next? Well, they stop at Albany overnight. Mm-hmm. He gives a speech. And then Peak Skill, New York. That seemed like such a right-handed place. And then the big next one is New York. I have some stuff down. Yep, I've got some stuff for that, too. So what do you have for that? Uh, something cool. He ended up meeting Joshua Dewey there, who is a 94-year-old. 94 and up to that point, he had voted in every single election since george washington so that's cool in 1789 so i thought that was kind of cool i briefly touched about the mayor wood and kind of his ties through the cotton trade with the confederacy he kind of addressed that in a speech um am i stealing all your stuff here nope not at all he chills with uh vp hamlin has a little dinner um and then uh his kids Actually, what is it? Uh, the showman, P.T. Barnuman, mm-hmm. uh, took his wife and his kids out to the museum as he chilled at the opera, which we've touched on here, that he loved opera as well as theater. So, And then I believe you have Walt Whitman down, right? I do, yeah. Walt Wil- yeah, like. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. You go ahead. Okay. Um, Walt Whitman was in the crowd of 200,000 people that came out to see Lincoln. And, of course, Walt Whitman's a poet. And he's got such a beautiful way of putting things. Um, So he described Lincoln, his perfect composure and coolness, his unusual and uncouth height, the dress of complete black stovepipe hat pushed back on the head, dark brown complexion, seamed and wrinkled yet uncanny, yet canny looking face, black bushy head of hair, disproportionately long neck and his hands held behind him as he stood observing the people. And Whitman also makes a more grave observation that many an assassin's knife and pistol lurked in the hip or breast pocket there, ready as soon as break and riot fame. Yeah, it's just very cool. Very cool. Didn't Teddy Roosevelt, too, see him in New York? That was um, his assassination. Um, The funeral procession for his assassination. That's right. Thank you. Oh, you're welcome. I'm a dumbass. Oh, you're not. That's, <laughs> I actually thought that too. I'm like, oh, wait, Teddy Roosevelt was there. And I had to Google it. And I'm like, oh, no, that was the assassination. <laughs> Wrong event. So kind of this New York, Trenton, Philly swing is kind of like the swing of the foundation, you know, the founding of America. Mm-hmm. Because he goes to Trenton and he gives a speech talking about, you know, uh, New Jersey, maybe more than any other. The original colonies is where mm-hmm. the majority of the battles took place. And he kind of gives this really cool speech just talking about the importance of the country that New Jersey played, especially during the Revolutionary War. And then he heads to Philly, the foundation there. Um, We'll get into some of the news he learns in Philly. But to me, I think his favorite document is the Declaration of Independence. Yep. That's the one he always quotes. He gives a nice speech talking about the Declaration of Independence. Uh, that's the one he often quotes, uh, especially when he gives many speeches throughout the Civil War. To him, I think the Declaration 
is the ideals of what America was founded on. Obviously, he gives great importance to the Constitution, but I think he views the Declaration as the founding document of this nation. I would completely agree with you, especially given um, what he's doing when he's back in Pennsylvania, um, when he goes to Independence Hall. Yeah, which is a awesome place. I have yet to visit that place. And he It really is cool. And Lincoln gets to go there on February the twenty second, um, which is George Washington's birthday, and is there that he raises a flag that's got thirty four stars on it because Kansas has just been admitted to the Union on January twenty ninth, eighteen sixty one. And Lincoln states that I have never had a feeling politically that did not spring from the sentiments embodied in the Declaration of Independence. And I would rather be assassinated on the spot than to surrender to it. Which is kind of funny because it's also in Philly where he learns about that there's a plot to take him out in Baltimore. Um, So where Seward's son or Seward, hopefully Boyce is having a drink right now. (laughs) I will. Uh, So basically, Seward sends uh, Norman B. Judd and his son out there to kind of notify him of this plot that's out there. Yep, and it that's the night before he speaks at Independence Hall, so that, you know, I'd rather be assassinated on the spot is probably him throwing a little bit of shade, shade towards that, that he's, because the one who's informed is Pinkerton, um, mm-hmm. of Pinkerton Detective Agency, and they basically go to Lincoln, they're like, we got to get you out of here. Like, we're going to sneak you. You can't go to Baltimore because this is going to happen. And Lincoln says, no, I have to do this thing at Independence Hall the next day. And I think that goes back again, Nick, to what you said about the the declaration being, you know, his favorite document and what he based his beliefs around, like when it came to the union and just him saying, I would rather be assassinated on the spot. Like, He's he's downplaying even the assassination attempts. And I think it's because, like, Pinkerton didn't, like, probably couldn't present him with any evidence. But then, you know, Seward's son is coming and saying, like, hey, this is a legit thing and we think you're in danger. But Lincoln's like, nope, I'm doing this thing. And then I think he went to Harrisburg and made a speech. Yep, he did do that. And then it's Harrisburg where, like, Judge David Davis kind of comes to him with like their new plan. Yeah. And then I'll let you take it from here. Um, so the Baltimore plot was this assassination plot where, so basically when Lincoln would arrive in Baltimore, he and his family would have to be taken by carriage to where their next train was. And there was this barber um, that had this plot to kill him and they were going to assassinate him as his family was being moved. So they decide to take him, once he's done in Philadelphia and Harrisburg, they decide to take him to Washington at night. So they have to put him in disguise. So instead of his stovepipe hat, he's wearing this Kosuth hat, which is like, I think it's a Scottish hat. Um, And he boards a sleeping car accompanied only by Pinkerton and Ward Hill Lehman. And Pinkerton did not like Lehman at all. He thought he was kind of an idiot, but he just sort of tolerated him. And so Lincoln arrives in Baltimore at 3.30. The car is transferred to Camden Station, and at 4.15, he departs Baltimore for D.C., where he arrives around 6 a.m. 
and that's 10 hours ahead of schedule. He is supposed to arrive like to fanfare and everything else. Like, but nope, he arrives alone with just these two other people with him. But there is someone that has got wind of him coming into Washington and that's his friend, uh, Elihu Washburn. And he like arrives at the train station and he just says like, Abe, you can't play that on me. Like he's just being funny. And then Pinkerton and Lehman attack him. <laughs> Dumbass. <laughs> like Lincoln's like, no, this guy's my friend. Stop it. Um, and then so uh, Lincoln ends up getting, Washburn takes him to the Willard Hotel where he's staying, which is a very fancy hotel. Still open, operating in Washington, D.C. It's beautiful. If you're ever in D.C., walk at least walk by it because the building is gorgeous. Um but the press went to town over this, like yeah. just negative. And like the cartoons that emerge are like, there's one of Lincoln wearing a kilt with a Scottish hat on and doing like a little bit of a dance. And there's one of him, like, I think disguised on the train as well. And they were saying like, well, was there really a threat? You know, and I guess, cause of, like, it was kind of like, what evidence, what evidence do you have for this? Um, and Lincoln, it, the press coverage actually really got to him. And it makes me wonder if this is why he was so like nonchalant about assassination plots after, because he stated, I did not then, nor do I now believe I should have been assassinated had I gone through Baltimore as first contemplated, but I thought it was wise to run no risk where no risk was necessary. Yeah. I mean probably a wake-up moment just of how much the press is going to be on him mm-hmm. like i think everybody like i think president's one of those jobs where you're like okay i kind of have an idea and then that first day week month maybe probably even years it's like holy shit this is nothing like i, th- I thought i knew but i had no damn idea <laughs> so I- i'm sure that happened a little bit there and something too is the. Uh, People don't understand, like, Baltimore was very pro-Confederacy. Yeah. Um, even though it lied technically in the Union or the North, um, it definitely, it would become problematic throughout uh, the war. Mm-hmm. That's one of the first places where suspended the suspension of habeas corpus comes into play. Um, so, yeah, Baltimore is definitely um, a very pro-Confederacy city as far as union cities went so yeah and it was known for street violence too yeah so yeah definitely um and i think some of that tension still is part of the legacy of the city now where you see some racial tension Mm -hmm. played out what a year two years ago yeah it was actually um, really surprising that lincoln would even consider they would even consider having him go through baltimore or even stopping there because um, he was sket- He was supposed to go to Dayton, Ohio, but he never did because there was rumors of an assassination plot. Really? So they completely that. bypassed Dayton, Ohio because of that. So it's like, it's Dayton, Ohio. And then it's Baltimore. Maybe they didn't have many options as far as railroads. That's true. Yeah, yeah. The ra- yeah, that's true at the time, like the railway. It's not like he can just hop in a car and, um, you know, go to dc or whatever um like i would guess baltimore like any railway would go through baltimore at that time so that's probably why it'd be a good little miniseries somebody put this together maybe there's a movie called the baltimore plot i think well i was just thinking like the journey itself Mm -hmm. 
just kind of because you could do some scenes where it's like he's talking to some of the people about what we should do, you know, lay the roots of that. And yep. then you've got some of the good stories, you know, like meeting the young girl, the plot. Mm-hmm. I shouldn't say this stuff out loud. We should be some of pitching the- this to a Hollywood audience. Netflix, yes. where you at? Sponsor the show. I'll do this. Yeah, we will write the script. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm not a good writer, but I'll edit. I'll edit. There you go. They've got an editor. Although your Jared will have to do sound. He can edit the sound. Yeah, I'm sure he would do that. Might have to pay him for that, though. <laughs> well, I better get paid as well. So. Yes, if we Netflix, all better get paid. If Netflix is paying me, I will be able to pay him. If we're pitching to Netflix and they like agree to it, I think we're going to be getting paid. Oh, and oh, actually, I'll wait till our next segment. Uh, but anyways, yeah. I think it'd be a nice little story. You got some good speeches to pull from yeah. there. Daniel Day-Lewis, we're going to need you back, bud. Yes. So that is the inaugural journey. And as we said, we are going to be back with um, an episode about the speeches at some point, And we pose that question to our listeners as well. Like, was Lincoln downplaying it? Or did he really not know how bad things were um, at the time? Um, so just we want to know what your opinion is on that. And we'll obviously talk about that on the show too. Um, anything to add, Nick? No, I think uh, that's the major stuff that I found. Uh, I will say this. If you type it in, the National Park Service uh, had a nice little thing that kind of went through each town. That's mm-hmm. where I got my. That's where I got my notes. I ripped them off because I was researching today at four o'clock. <laughs> and actually, just um, before we move from the inaugural journey onto our um, the ending segments of our show, um, I just want to thank my friend uh, Jeff Lincoln belongs to the ages. He actually did a presentation about the inaugural journey uh, a few years ago, and he was very kind and um, sent me his PowerPoint that he did, so I kind of would have some points to to go on and um kind of know where the major things were so thank you for that it was very very helpful be kind of a fun road trip to do the lincoln inaugural journey it would real splitter road yes i was just say real splitter road trip um okay 16 meetups yep (laughs) 1904 miles (laughs) we'd have to follow along the railway tracks i guess in some ways yeah i wonder how close you could get to the actual thing now That'd be interesting. It would be. Um, so we're going to move on to our se- our two final segments. So the first one is Of the People by the People. Nick, what do you have for us this week? I am going with, I need to pull it up here, but I know what I'm going with. Last week we asked a question because we were talking about the great, the Lincoln movies, grading, going back, watching all the major movies or at least movies that had Lincoln as a major role, um, and kind of ranking them, talking about them, critiquing them. And Tom Pete, uh, I don't know, P-E-E-T? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Pete. Yeah, I would get that. Um, he gave us a nice list, so thank you for giving us that. We now have something to build off of. Yes, he's quite a frequent poster on our Real Splitter page, and actually that's where my of the people by the people comes from is from him. Um, I think it was on Sunday night he posted a photo of Dave Taylor, who's been on the show three times now. So we 
have uh, christened him as Rail Splitter Dave. Um, it's a picture of Dave leading um, his John Wilkes Booth escape tour that he does. And Tom, Pete, and his son were on it. It's $85 for the tour, but they said they would highly recommend it. Um, they would do it again in a heartbeat. And it's actually something that I've been wanting to do for a while, but I just haven't got around to it yet. But um, the assassination is something that really interests me. And I think doing that kind of tour would, um, I don't know, I think you would learn a lot from it. And it would be really interesting to see those places and just have an idea of like the geographic area that was covered in, I think it was those 12 days that Booth was on the run. Yeah. And I'm sure, I mean, we've had him on a show. I think he's a great guest. Mm-hmm. Um, and he knows a lot. He presents it in a very, I don't want to say simple, but he presents it in a very understandable, easy to understand mm-hmm. way. Yeah. He does. He gets who he's talking to. Um, so he doesn't bog you down with, you know, he doesn't try to outsmart you or anything. I think sometimes you get tour guys who are there just to show off. He's there because he has a passion to, t- you know, share history and he's doing it. Um, yeah. So I also would like to go on it and mm-hmm. I'm sure it'd be great. Um, and he's a great guest. So. Yes, he is. And then we could just record the whole trip and then just use that for an episode. Exactly. <laughs> so and then Dave will be another time on the show. So. Yep. Four times. <laughs> Yeah, we need to get out there and do that. We could. It would be the end journey of our Lincoln Rail Splitter Lincoln inaugural journey road trip. Yeah, exactly. End off with the escape route tour. You get summers off of your job, right? Me? No. Yeah. Oh, I thought every Canadian got summer off. No. <laughs> oh wait, that's winter. <laughs> yeah. Never mind. Winter. Yeah, but the way this winter's going, the kids have had over two weeks of snow days. Are you for real? No, that's. So that's more of us. And you guys live in Canada. I didn't even think snow days were a thing. They are. I got a whole new, different impression of Canada. I know. We're wimps. <laughs> you guys basically are Americans. I mean, 90% of you live from the, but like, what is it? Like, uh, the vast majority of you guys live within what? About, nine, miles about 90 minutes from the border, which that's yeah, exactly that's it, yeah. where I live, as I live exactly 90 minutes from the border. 90 minutes? I thought you were closer than that. No, oh, just about 90 minutes to Port Huron, oh. Michigan. So how long? You go to Ohio all the time. How long of a drive is it? Uh, if I go to Cedar Point, um, which is one place I'm at quite a bit, it's about four and a half hours. If I go to Canton to stay with my friends, it's about six hours. What's the closest the Michigan? Yep. How far is Detroit from you? It is about two and a half hours. Okay. Not bad. Yep, it's not it's not a bad drive at all. Like, I mean, Port Huron is an hour and a half, and Detroit is maybe an hour past that, depending. So what's Springfield? Springfield's about eight hours. Man, you never made it there. Not yet. Man, that's weak. Not yet. And I'm headed to Chattanooga, Chickamauga, again on Easter weekend. I'm doing the driving, which is why. It, how long is that? Uh, so we leave Thursday night, so right before Good Friday, obviously, and we're going to drive until I get tired. And I'm hoping to make it to the outskirts of Cincinnati, which is almost eight hours. Okay. And then from there, Chattanooga. When I drive home on Monday, it's going to be about 12 hours. 
Yeah. It's a long day drive. Yeah. Me and Kara have done. I like how we're just talking about road trips right now. Yeah. All the listeners are listening to us. <laughs> We've done 13 hours a couple times. And yeah. Yep. I've done that too. It's worth it. It's. I don't mind. It actually goes pretty quick. No. I'm I'm in very I'm very introverted. So like if I'm going to visit my friends in Ohio and Canton, I download an audio book or I have a playlist, and it's just like Zen in the car, listen to some podcasts. Like I just listen to us, the Rail Splitter. Do you really? <laughs> I've actually never listened to a show. Neither have I, Jeremy. It's funny. Like Jer A will uh, he'll be like, "Hey, your show's posted. Do you want to listen to it?" And he'll put it on. And I'm like, "Nope." <laughs> So I, I like yeah, I mean I'm sure I sound like shit, but maybe I'd be better if I listened more. Nope. Now before I was a part of the show, I listened to all the episodes driving to Ohio one time. Heck yeah, that's the only way to road trip people. Yeah, listen to Rail Splitter podcast. If you listen to them on a road trip, you could become a Rail Splitter. Yes. Well, I guess all our fa- fans are Rail Splitters. They you are. Could become. A member of the show, possibly. Yes. Probably not. But <laughs> I like how you're bringing it back to being on the Railsplitter podcast because our final thing is our This Week in Lincoln. And this week it is actually an event that was shared on our Facebook page by the Lincoln Funeral Train. And we've had uh, one of their members on. She was a guest on our show. And it was a really interesting talk that we had with her. Um, so this group is doing... On April 22nd, April 23rd in Elizabethtown, PA, Pennsylvania, um, which is uh, April 22nd is the day that the funeral train passed through there when Lincoln was going back to Springfield to be buried. They're doing an event there where you can actually go through the funeral train. And it's a complete, it's a replica of it. They've done an amazing job with it. Um, So if you're near Elizabethtown, uh, Pennsylvania on April 22nd or 23rd, consider going to that. They're going to have the full-scale replica of the original funeral car, fully furnished as it was on April 22nd, 1865. And there's lots of other things happening, too. They got bands and music from that time period, reenactors. There's a Living Historic Lectures by Lincoln reenactor Fritz Klein, who I think he's been a guest on the show, too, hasn't he? Which one? Fritz Klein. He was um, one of yeah. when we had Rosie back on, um, Rose back on the show. Yes, yes. He was one of the guests. Um, so he's quite a good Lincoln reenactor, and they're doing lots of other things. So um, kind of a little bit of a different this week in Lincoln, but we just want to mention it um, because, you know, you're still a few weeks out from the event if you're in that area and you can get tickets. Um, I think it's on Eventbrite. I will share the um, post on our Twitter page once we get the show posted just so everybody can know about it. Yeah, I think it was in Illinois last year, and I yep. did not go, and I regret that. So don't be like me and feel like a clown when it's out of town. It's <laughs> a good way to put it. I would uh, love to go see it because um, I'll be traveling back from – if I'd done better planning, I could have booked this next day off work and gone to see it, but it's too late for that now. That's why there's a summer. I don't get summers off. <laughs> What? <laughs> I didn't think that was a th- really no. People work in the summer, huh? Uh, yes. Funny part is, I'm actually quite often in school in the summer. So, 
but there's also quite a few days I'm not. So yeah. <laughs> there's quite a few days I'm at work during the summer. <laughs> Other than weekends. Um, anyway, that is our show for this week. Any parting thoughts, Nick? No, I apologize. <laughs> no, it's okay. I don't feel like I was on my A game. I gave you guys about a D plus. An A, I mean, I was trying, but it just, yeah, I'm going to be better next week. No, we're fine. We're good. We're good. Thank you as always um, for listening and please Review us on iTunes or, you know, even just tweet a, tweet at us on Twitter. We welcome feedback. We welcome show ideas, anything. And uh, thank you to everybody in the Facebook page that continues to post stuff. Uh, shout out to all our new members on there, all our new followers on Twitter. So I think that's it for this week. Keep walking the world with malice toward none and with charity for all. And we will see you next time. <laughs>